First Timothy chapter five. I hope one day to meet your backup singers. You know, in the Bible, as you see different words for the church, you see words like temple. The church is a temple. And what that means is that we come together to worship God. And the chief cornerstone is who? The Lord Jesus Christ. We, we hear words like the church is the body of Christ. And what that means is that we all have our function and each has a part And Christ is the head of the church. He's the leader. He's the one. Um, You look at other things. Uh, The church is a flock. We are sheep. We follow the chief shepherd. And his name is Jesus. But there's a word that I want us to think about today is that the church is family. We are family. Now, one amen. Maybe I'm just here by myself. Now, every family has their oddballs, right? (laughs) The weird uncle that comes over, the one that, you you know, the jokes are bad, the dad jokes are horrible. I don't know anyone in our family like that, but we have, (laughs) in every family you have different personalities. Johnny, as a little, little baby, would suck his thumb all the time and and, um, and so one time we went to church, and they still didn't know Spanish yet. We were just in the country a little while at the time, and Ellie and him were very close, and, and somebody uh, started to become friends with Ellie and started to walk away with Ellie, and he started to yell at the girl, you can't take Ellie away, she's mine. <laughs> the thing is, he's doing it in English. She had no idea what he was, she was, say, he was saying to her. But you don't mess with Ellie. She's his. And, and you look all these years later, and when Ellie picked a school, Katie and I looked at us and said, I guarantee you Johnny's probably going to go to the same school as Ellie. They remained close all these years. And they did end up at the same school. And fast forward to this past Christmas, um, we all were giving gifts to each other. And Johnny um, decided to give a gift to each one of his siblings. He bought out of his own money and gave him a beautiful flannel jacket, each one, so they could all look like um, he still loves them. And, you know, I look at that and I say, wow, we are blessed to have kids who care about one another. And then you look at God's family. And you say to ourselves, do we really care about one another? I mean, do we seek to benefit the spiritual well-being of one another? I'm not talking about love, gushy feelings that we enjoy being around each other's presence, which that's not bad. I mean, do we really care for one another like a family? You know, it's amazing that blood is often thicker than the Bible. People, when it comes to blood family... You don't mess with anyone, not even with God. Because blood family comes first, God comes second. But I'm here to tell you that blood is not thicker than the Bible. In fact, blood is not thicker than the Holy Spirit. 
When we become family, it is something that is amazing when we become family here in church. In fact, it's amazing when, you remember when Jesus was walking and somebody came up to him and said, hey, your brothers and your mother are looking for you. And Jesus responded by saying what? Who, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who? The ones that do the will of God. That's my mother. Those are my brothers. We are in the, the family of God together. And there is a bonding that we have when we have the same father, praise God, and the same faith and the same Holy Spirit. We are brothers and sisters in the same body. It's a wonderful thing. I praise God for my church family. Amen. And being family is fun until one of the family members steps out of bounds. And you got to deal with that. I don't want to shock you, but Johnny wasn't always a saint. <laughs> he didn't always look out for Ellie. There were sometimes Johnny looked out for Johnny. And Johnny was number one in his life. And so how do you deal with the Johnny? How do you deal with uh, people who are walking out? How would you like to be in the church that Timothy was in? Some say, oh, I would love that church. Oh, would you? You had younger men teaching false things. You had older women telling tales that had nothing to do with the Bible. You had older women that were widows not acting like they should. You had younger women living as if they were dead in pleasures and not pleasing God. You had younger men who wanted to be leaders, but they were not stepping up. You had to deal with all kinds of problems. And so Timothy writes this beautiful passage in verses 1 and 2, and he's going to tell us part of being love and part of impacting our community and part of being a family is being willing to go to one another and to point out that they're doing something that is wrong and help them to be all that God wants them to be. Here's the problem. We just don't know how to do it. And so we mess it up because we don't know how to do it. And even if we do know how to do it, we don't want to do it. Anybody here like to point out faults in anybody else? Anybody like to do that? If you do, we'll make you the pastor of pointing out faults. And you can go do it. We won't deal with it. Amen? <laughs> this is the worst part of it. You got to deal with people. And let me just tell you, sin becomes evident in one of three ways. Sin becomes evident because somebody comes up to you and says to you, you know what? I confess I'm doing wrong. Pray for me. Help me. That's the best kind to deal with. Because they're battling the sin. They're, they're in the battle. They confess it. So we're here to help them. There's other sin that happens because we see people doing it and it's not pleasing God. So now we have to go and tell them. That's not fun because they're not battling it already. They're, it's not a battle of them, but you see it and you're trying to help them with that. And then there's the third part that, that really is the worst, I think, is when somebody else comes up to you and says, hey, so-and-so is doing what's wrong. Can you talk to him, Pastor? Those are my funnest conversations. <laughs> Why don't you talk to him? No, no, we want you to talk to him. And now we got to deal with the third one, and those people are really upset that you come up to him and talk to him. So how do we deal with each group? In, 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 and he's going to mention here, look at this in verses 1 and 2. He's going to mention each group here. He's going to mention the older men. How do we deal with them? He's going to mention the younger men. How do, how do we deal with them? 
He, he's going to mention older women. <laughs> Watch out with those. <laughs> Not one amen. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to pick on them, boy. Wow. <laughs> and then he's going to deal with the Mayas of the world, the younger women. And how do we deal with you? And that's fun to pick on as well. But this is going to transcend how we deal with people inside the church. This is going to transcend how we deal with people everywhere we go. This is not just for when you walk through these doors. This is for when you're at work. This is for when you're in the, in, in the mall, wherever you may be. This is how you deal with people around you. This is an amazing passage. Let's look at it. So he starts off with the older men here. And he says here, do not sharply rebuke an older man. He uses the same word for an elder, but he's talking about older people, older in age. He's not talking about church office elders. Later on, he's going to discuss that in chapter 5, how we deal with them when they're sinning. But he's talking about older people. Now, here's what's amazing. In every culture, people deal with older people in different ways. You go to an Asian culture, you bow down to an old, you look in the eye. You ever watch Karate Kid? Uh -huh. Daniel-san! Look eye. Always look eye. Eye is respect. When you're looking down, looking around, looking at home, you're disrespecting the, the elderly person. In, in, in a Jewish culture, this is amazing. You ever study out Leviticus and all that? They would have to stand and pay respect to an older person. Now come to America. How do they respect older people? They don't. <laughs> they treat them like garbage. In fact, I am amazed on how people talk to older people in our society. I come from an Italian culture. We kiss men. Not one amen. <laughs> men I've never met. My dad would say, hey, there's Petey. Give him a kiss. Dad, I don't know him. Give him a kiss. <laughs> kiss him. If I didn't kiss him, it's disrespect. It's respect to do that. There's some kids we have on our, our baseball team. i never forget this one kid. He, his dad was helping coach. He was calling his dad James. Hey, there's my dad James. I said, is he your dad? Dad, yes, yeah, my dad. I call him James. I never call him dad. Let me tell you something, kid. If I ever called my dad, John, I'd be with Jesus right now. Amen? <laughs> that is disrespect. You don't do that. But yet in our culture, we don't even know how it is to treat older men. Here it is, right here in this verse. He says, when you're dealing with an older man who has stepped, overstepped the bound, is doing something that really doesn't please God. And just because he's older, he doesn't get away with it. Doesn't mean he gets a free pass. You can't say, well, he's older, who cares? He'll be dead in a few years. He'll get right with God. No, we got to deal with it. Here's how we deal with it. Do not sharply rebuke an older man. It is one word in the Greek, and it's only here in the whole New Testament. You're not going to find it anywhere else. It speaks of giving a pounding, a verbal pounding, striking somebody with your words, being harsh with them, 
coming to them and pounding them and giving them a tongue lashing. Hey, old man, can you hear me? Turn your hearing aid up. What are you doing? How can you live like that? Listen to me, old man. You need to change your life, old man. And give him a tongue lashing and disrespect and, and harsh with your words. He says, you don't talk to an, an older man with disrespect with your words. You go up to him. Look at this in the verse here. But you rather appeal. And the same word used of the Holy Spirit. You go up to them right next to them and you comfort them. You encourage them. You speak to them. You appeal to them. It's not like you just leave them alone and let them do what they want. You appeal to them. But how do you do it? You appeal to them as a father. Now, if I say that today to kids, they're like, oh, I can treat all the people like I treat my own dad? That's great. Watch me, baby. I'm going to disrespect them just like I disrespect my father. No, no. He's talking about there ought to be a respect when we speak to older men. There ought to be an appeal. If they're doing something wrong, we ask in a question. We appeal to them. We don't accuse them. We don't make accusations. We just appeal to them. Do you think what you're doing is pleasing God? We go to them in our tone. We go to them in, in motives that honor God. We speak to them like we speak to our own fathers. I tell you, my dad was an absentee dad. He wasn't around for a lot of years of my life. And by God's grace, the one thing he taught me is that you ought to respect those who are older than you. And you watch the way you talk. Do you know how respect comes? Respect comes in the way we talk to people. If we are giving a tongue lashing, if we are giving a verbal abuse to somebody, that is a lack of respect. I'll never forget at Christmas I was watching where a little kid was going and the mom said, hey, should we buy this? And we, no, no, mom, I'm going to tell you what you're going to buy me. Kid was five years old doing that. No, you go to an older man, you watch your tone, you watch your vocabulary, you watch the way you honor and you respect him with your words, it says here. And you go up and you appeal to him and you appeal to him as a father. You say, okay, I understand that. I'm not going to go up to Chalmer and rip him to shreds. I mean, how disrespectful was that? That would be. I wouldn't do that to Chalmer, but I will do that to a younger person. Watch what this next verse says. How do you deal this with a younger person? How do you speak to them? The same word there, don't sharply rebuke. It applies to every one of these groups. Now, younger people, here's the problem that we have. When we see somebody who's a peer and somebody says, how young is young? Is 30 young? Is 20 young? Is 50? I mean, how young is young? Don't get into the legalistic age here. What he's talking about is you're talking to a peer. When you talk to a peer, you treat a peer like a peer. You don't treat a peer like somebody that you're superior to or that you got it all figured out and they're the sinner. They got to get right with God, but your life is perfect. No. You go to them like you would go to your own brother. Now, here's where I don't have a great example of this in my brother because my brother treated me like Bert and Ernie treated each other. <laughs> Anybody watch Bert and Ernie? My brother would love to get me in trouble. He loved it. And his laugh still haunts me to this day. His... <laughs> Whenever I got in trouble, I'd hear... <laughs> in the background. 
And I didn't even do it. He did it. And, oh, man, I get so mad. It would burn me up. Like, you're the, you treat me like that's crazy. Now, we got to be careful. Here's what happens in, in, in churches. We, we, we see some, a brother doing something that's not put, and we come to that brother with a superior attitude, like we have life figured out and they don't. And it's almost like we're looking at them and going, <laughs> that's not how we do it. Here's how we do it. I want to show you. Turn with me to 2 Timothy for a moment here. And I want to show you this. Because we come to these younger brothers and we got to appeal to them and come in, in the same way that we do as a father, but we're appealing to a younger brother. We're not lording over him. We're not, we're not making them believe what we believe or believe our point of view, but we're going to them. Now, now watch how we go to them. This verse is amazing. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. I want you to look at this because this applies to, to all relationships when we talk to somebody when they're doing something that doesn't please God. Here's what we must remember. This is an amazing verse. Look at this here. Verse 24, it says this, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Underline that. You know what that word means there? You must not be a fighter. You must not be willing to get in a war with your words. You must not harshly speak to somebody and rip them to shreds with your words and be harsh at them. You ought to be gentle. We're going to see you in a moment. So what do you do when you confront somebody and they get mad and start yelling at you? What you don't do is yell back. That is hard. You don't escalate it. In fact, the Bible is very clear. It says a soft word will do what? Will make these harsh arguments just go down. A soft answer. I was driving FedEx one time, and it was snowing out, and I was panicking to get my packages off in time, so I'm cutting people off in New York City. And I cut this truck off, and the truck hits my back of the, of the, of the truck and three Russians get out of the truck. Not one, three. And I get out. I didn't do that. They are livid. What are wrong with you? What the wrong with you? You cut us off! And all I did was this. I'm sorry. I'm running late. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Their face changed. They were like, now what do we do with this guy? <laughs> they got back in their truck and they left. Now, if I would have said, what? Go back to your country. What do you think you are? You're going to yell at me? Do you know who I am? You know the connections I got? I make three phone calls. You're dead. I don't care where you're from. Don't be a person that goes into these conversations looking for a fight because guess what? If you're looking for it, you'll find one. Here's what you need to do. You go into these conversations not looking for a fight. You go into these conversations kind to all. The kindness comes in the words and in the motives that we speak. They ought to see that we really care about them. And here's, I love this verse because it says we ought to be able to teach. In other words, we are using the scriptures 
as our guide. Not what we think. Not coming to them and saying, this is what I think you should do. No, this is what God thinks, not me. But don't miss this next part. Here's what happens. We go in there not looking for a fight. We go in there trying to be kind. We go in there with the scriptures. And guess what happens? They say, thank you for coming. I'm going to change my life. Is that what happens? It says, what happens? Be patient when what? We're wronged. It says, you know what normally happens when we try to help people? We end up being the bad guy. We end up the one that didn't come in the right way. We end up being the one that didn't say the right words. We end up being the one that didn't have the right care, or you don't care for me, or being up. All of a sudden, we're the wrong. And, and the issue is no longer the issue. The issue is now us. We're the bad guy. Instead of the issue being somebody not pleasing God, all of a sudden the issue is us. And they'll say things, and they'll do things, they'll block your phone, they'll wipe you off off of Facebook, you name it, it'll happen. So what do you do when that happens? Look what it says here. Patient when wrong. The Greek word there means to take it. Take it. Deal with it. Don't retaliate. Wow, that's hard. Get ready for it. It's going to happen. You're the bad guy. So be patient when they say these things about you. And then, don't miss this, in verse 25, with gentleness. This is a fruit of the Spirit. We can't do this without God. This is God working in us. With gentleness, here's what we do. We correct those who are in opposition. And then we do it in such a way that we have hope. Not hoping what I say is going to change them. Hoping that God is going to change them. Look at this. We have hope if perhaps, I love that little phrase there. Hopefully, maybe this will happen. If perhaps God may grant them repentance. In other words, who is it that changes hearts? God does. But he uses you and me to confront and to talk to somebody and to show them in the scriptures. And then God works in their hearts and they change. My mom has a good friend that she was going to church for years without her husband. And she would always go and tell people, do not sit in that chair. Say, Why can't we sit in that chair? Do not. My husband's going to sit there one day. Years went by. She never sat. And then all of a sudden he came and he got saved. She had hope. When we go to people, we have hope. We never go, yeah, he lost his case. You're never going to change. I'm sorry. I don't even know why I'm telling you this. No, we go with hope. We believe that God is going to change them. Look at this here. With gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if God may grant them repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Leading to the knowledge of truth. They understand the truth. Now here's where this gets hard, and we often forget this in relationships. In relationships, in every relationship, we are in a spiritual warfare. It is a spiritual warfare for a child to submit to a parent. It is a spiritual warfare for, for a parent to treat a child like God would want him, for a spouse to treat a spouse. It is a spirit, it's spiritual, not just physical. And sometimes when we don't obey God, look what happens. We get trapped in things and we don't see the way God wants us to see. Look at this in verse 26. We're praying with hope 
that God would grant them repentance and that they may come to their what? They just are not thinking right. They're not thinking right. And as much as you're blue in the face, they're not going to see it. Because they're trapped. And they're trapped, look at this, in the snare of the devil. That is incredible. Think about that the next time you are trying and you have a conflict with somebody. Think about the next time that this is a spiritual war. That person is not the problem. You're in a spiritual battle. And that takes the fruit of the Spirit to help us to be gentle with that person. It takes the fruit of the Spirit to help us to be patient when we're wrong. It takes the fruit of the Spirit to help us to point out what is wrong. And it takes the fruit of the Spirit to trust in God to change their hearts. And see them come out of being held captive by Him to do His will. Give time. Allow God to work. And He will. Going back to this 1 Timothy 5. He says, there's times you're going to have to go to these older men, you're going to, but don't you give them a verbal lashing, you're pounding, you don't do that. You come to these younger men and you don't, you dare think you're superior to them. You talk to them as you would a peer. And you remember these things that I just mentioned. But now I want you to look at uh, verse 2. Those things are easy. As a male to talk to an older male, that's easy. As a male to talk to a younger male, well, that's a little bit, it's, it's okay. Now, holy cow, let's rip verse 2 out of the Bible. I mean, this is crazy. Older women? Any amens? How do you deal with them? Especially the ones that are talking all kinds of things that don't please God. Or are off their rockers. That one amen, huh? Boy, I'm really getting in this deep here, ain't I? Timothy had to deal with some interesting older women. They were not behaving themselves. They were saying tales and believing things. They were doing things that do not please God. So how do you deal with older women? And see, here's the difference. We don't understand this. Men, we don't understand this. Let me just explain something to you. I'm going to give you something so profound. You need to write it down in your Bible. Men, women are different. <laughs> Any amen? We think so different. We react so different. We cope so different. Everything is different. You know, I, I was this family that just lost their four-month-old baby. Uh, they came home and they're grieving, and it's the first time when they're in their home. And you know what the guy says? The guy says, "Honey, you're not going to understand this, but I need to go change the oil on my car." That's how I'm going to grieve through this. I have never met a woman who comes home and says, you know what, honey, I'm having a tough day. I need to go change the oil in our car to cope with this. Now, maybe there's some here. If you are, I need an oil change. Help me out here. You know, you can help. <laughs> Women cope different. They think different. They act different. They see things differently. There's oftentimes I got to ask Katie, help me in this. Help me understand. My mother thinks different than I do. My mom and so, how, how, do you, how do you treat your, your own mother? 
And he says here, look at this here. He says, when you go to older women, you treat them as you would treat your own mother. Well, how do you deal with a mother? You listen to them. You love them. You are very careful with your words. They brought you into this life. They can take you out of this life. You don't mess with them. You care for them. And if they're out of step to... If they're out of bounds, you confront them in a way that honors and pleases God. But you treat them well. My mother, I thank the Lord, she, when she calls, and here's something about a mother that just amazes me. No matter how the son is, the mother's love for her children is just absolutely amazing. My brother robbed my mother. My brother cursed out my mother. My brother has pushed my mother against the wall. My mother loves my brother. That doesn't change. There's something about a mother's love towards their children. You treat your mother in a way that is honor and respect. My mother calls up on Sundays and I sometimes get an earful of how things are going in the church. Oh, Jeremy, I love the sermon. I love it, Jeremy. Well, Jeremy, that was great. You talked about Paul and how he talked about Timothy. And, and oh, when Bob reads the scripture, Jeremy. Oh, and so-and-so sang. And Jeremy, the hair on my neck was standing up. Oh, I love how he sings. And, and, Jer and Rob's leaving, Jeremy. Tell me about what's going on in Rob. Rob, they're going away. Uh, she knows the church. She knows it better than you do. And she talks and she encourages. But one thing that, that gets me about my mom now, she says, Jeremy, not only am I your mother, but I'm your sister in Christ. That's beautiful. And that's just in the last 10 years. Praise God. There ought to be, and I thank God. You know, I love my mother. You know what I love about this church? I have mothers in this church too. Nick, that's not only your mother. That's my mother as well. <laughs> Debbie treats me like I'm her own son with the love and the care. That is beautiful. I want to show you a verse. Look at this in Romans 16, 13. Romans 16, 13. You ever read this one? If you need some names for your kids, this is a beautiful verse. <laughs> now look at Romans 16, 13. It says this, Greet Rufus. That's a name. You want to name your kid Rufus? That's a beautiful name. Just don't put a D on it. All right, Rufus. You'll get that later. But anyway, uh, a choice man in the Lord. This is an elephant man. This is a man who was noble, had money. He's a choice man in the Lord. Watch what he says about this. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord. Also his mother. And look at this next two words. And what? Mine. Paul had a mother that wasn't his mother. He knew how to treat the older ladies in the church. He treated them like moms. Now, go, going back to this. That is, all right, you're dealing with older men, you're dealing with younger men, you're dealing with older women. Now, here's the hardest part. How do you deal with a Maya? 
because this is where a lot of the relationships break down. But I'm here to tell you, if we understand this, this will impact not only our church, but impact the whole community for Christ. If you go to your workplace and understand how to treat a lady, and how to treat a lady the way God wants you to treat a lady, not the way the world tells us to treat a lady or the flesh tells us to treat a lady, but to really treat a woman the way God wants us to treat them. You look at this verse, this is a beautiful verse. This is a verse I use to counsel my young sons and, and to counsel different people. This is a verse. When you're dealing with younger women who think differently than you, Timothy, remember, you're a male, she's a woman. You don't deny that she's a woman. She, she thinks differently. You treat her as you would treat a sister. Now you say, what does that mean? Well, you treat a sister in two ways. One, you don't forget that your sister is a girl. Amen? So... It's not like you're going to pull out the baseball and fire at 50 miles an hour at her. She's a girl. You treat her like a girl. She's fragile. It's different. She's a girl. You treat her with respect as a girl. Now, here's the thing. We live in a sinful world. We have sinful desires that don't go away when we get married. We still have the sin nature. We deal with sinful. And the tendency is to look at a girl as a sex object in the flesh, and we want that sex object, and here's what he says. You treat him as a sister, and you treat that sister as what? In all purity. Some people take this to the extreme and say, well, I'm never going to talk to a girl because i got to keep my purity. Uh, they need to be ministered to, too. <laughs> They're still part of the church. You say, well, so people put a lot of parameters and they think this is all externals here. Okay, here's what we need to do. Okay, first, we need never to counsel a girl by yourself. Well, that's good advice. I wouldn't do that. Don't be in a car with a girl other than your wife and by yourself. That's smart too. I don't go out and have coffee with women. I mean, that's, you know, just, let's go to the coffee shop, me and you. We'll hang out and call that. That sets an impression that something is, unless my wife is there, something is wrong. One, one guy put it this way. If she's not my wife, and she's not my daughter, and she's not old enough to be my mama, I'm not with her alone. That's externals. You can have all the externals you want and still not be right with God. That's why he uses a word not for externals. He uses a word for internals. The word there for purity speaks of devotion of heart. In other words, he says this, when you minister to women, and you are going to minister to women, when you treat a woman, here's how you treat a woman. You treat a woman like you would your own sister, and in your heart, you're devoted to God, and you're devoted to her spiritual well-being, and you want the best for her, and you're not going to even think about trying to be with her sexually because your heart is right with God. You see, what is it that stops men from not being, from, from being, from not being immoral and all these things and, and going with women? It's a heart that is devoted to God. It's not just the externals. Externals are important, but internals are important. When Joseph was tempted to sin with a woman, what did he say? How can I do this against my God? 
His relationship with God was a prior. You want a safeguard here. Here's what he's saying. When you minister to women, you make sure you're devoted to Christ. And you make sure that if you're married, you're devoted to your wife. And you treat those women with respect. And when those fleshly thoughts come in, you confess them, you say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I want to please God and I am devoted to God. I have two young boys who, who deal with the world that they deal with and the flesh that they deal with. And I remember talking to Johnny and I said, Johnny, you know what? It is a relationship with God that's going to stop those times when things come up that want you to be impure. It's a relationship with a cell phone too. <laughs> God's calling. We got to finish this up. If you want to impact the world, and if we want to impact the world for Christ, here's how we do it. Ready for this? This is not hard. When we see an older man, we speak to them with respect and honor, and we treat them with the dignity that God wants us to treat them. To. When we see a younger man, we don't look down on them. We don't think that we got it all together. We seek their spiritual. When we seek, when we see an older woman, we speak to her as we would our own mother. And when we see younger women, we treat them in a way with honor and respect. When we do that, the world is like, wow. That is unbelievable. Because the world is going to see we're believers by the way we treat one another. Not by holding our Bibles high and saying, I believe in God. Look at me. I believe in God. Oh yeah, I'm chatting with women that are not my wife. I believe in God. No, no. They are watching how we are treating one another. And as we treat one another with the dignity and respect that God wants them to do, we make an impact in the world. And people feel safe around us. So when you see someone doing wrong, remember what God wants you to do and minister to one another in a way that God wants you to do it. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we, we look at these passages and we forget what you have called us to do. Life is about relationships. And they get messy. And Lord, you tell us in your word how to handle that mess. Father, when we're around those who are older, the men, we treat them with respect in our tone, in our words, in our motives. We appeal to them as we would our own fathers. And I know in the world that we live in right now, people don't understand what that means. But you define what it means. It means that we don't give them a verbal pounding. It means that we appeal to them and speak gently to them in form of questions and rather than accusations. When we deal with younger who are our age or little younger, whatever it may be, when we deal with peers, we treat them with respect as well, we're gentle. We don't look to fight them with our words. 
We're gentle and kind and we use the scriptures to show and we believe and trust in you even when they say things that are wrong about us. They said things that were wrong about your son. And Lord, when we're dealing with older women in the church that are saying things that don't please you, we treat them as mothers with the love and the respect that is there, listening to them, caring for them. And then, Father, the younger women in our church, that the world treats younger women so bad, that, Father, that we would speak to them with respect and the purity of heart, that our intentions are right, our motives are right, and that our hearts are devoted to you. It's not the externals that people worry about. It's the heart, Father, that matters to you. That we would treat them as sisters, God, and care for them and be there for them and encourage them and lift them up and honor them. I thank you for the examples we see even in our own home with Johnny and his sisters. And Father, I, I pray that, that we would be that here in the church, that we would truly care for one another and seek their best. Lord, wherever we may be, in the workplace, or at school, that we put these principles into practice, that at school the young people would treat their teachers with respect, that they would speak to their siblings and, and, and different people, their peers, with respect. That they wouldn't think that they're superior to other people, but they would treat them in the way that you want them to. And then when it comes to male and female, that there would be purity there because they're devoted to you and they love you. God, help us. People are watching, they're observing, and they will see that we belong to you by our true love for one another here in this congregation and out in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. After the song, we'll take...